Hi, Explorers. Thanks for listening to Kids Who Explore Parent Edition. Come along with us as we cover all corners of raising kids in the outdoors. Hi, I'm Adriana Scori. I'm a hiking mom in the Canadian Rockies, Mama to Turner, and CEO of Kids Who Explore. I'm Lauren Rodick Eberly. I'm mom to Collins. We love being outside and exploring between our two homes in Seattle, Washington, and Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Today's podcast is sponsored by Kids Who Explore's Patch for a Purpose. Every time we see our patch out in the world, we feel the love and support behind it. Our patches can be sewn onto backpacks, jackets, bags, or even baby carriers, to name a few. Or they can be carried in your packs as special adventure items for all your little explorers. Our patch comes in eight different colors, and a dollar from each patch goes to a, you guessed it, purpose. Your support can make a difference for all of the following charity groups, depending on which color patch you want to represent. Alberta Parks, Children's Disability, BIPOC and Anti-Racism, Sick Children, The Earth, Children's Wellbeing, Anti-Bullying, and Children's Mental Health. Check out the hashtag Patch for a Purpose to see our patch and the community behind it. That's hashtag Patch, the number four, a purpose. To get your patch today, visit www.kidswhoexplore.ca. We thank you in advance for the difference you are making. Today we are joined by Christina Sizemore from Houston, Texas, better known as Chris. On February 10th, 2017, herself, her husband Bill, and her daughter Issa watched their house burn down. They said goodbye to their dog on the front lawn while people watched. They almost lost Bill, who was asleep in the house at the time. Day two after the fire, she borrowed her mom's computer and started writing. She says this tragic experience has reframed how they do and see life and it's important to her to share this story with others. Chris felt that she had two options, succumb to PTSD, guilt and depression, or to live. She chose to live life brazenly. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Do you mind taking us back to that moment, sharing a bit about how the fire started and how your husband was awoken during the fire and eventually how you all got out? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, he used to work overnight uh, for a retailer, so he would sleep during the day. And then uh, my our daughter was almost four. Her birthday was a month after the fire. Um, so she was in preschool, and um, I worked uh, as a freelance contract graphic designer and marketing consultant photographer forever. And so I was in my home office and it was one of those days where you're like super productive, like you're getting all the things done. I had just started backing up everything. All of my life's work to the cloud that day. And I lit a candle because I was like, I'm going to like have the vibe in here. And I put it on the the windowsill and I never light candles. It's not like I'm, I'm not a scent person. Like usually if like something's very perfumey, I immediately start sneezing. And so, um, but uh, I was on the phone with a client. I went to go get my daughter. I closed the window shades before I left and went to go get her from school. And so um, guaranteed it was already on fire by the time I was going out the door and not realizing it. My husband was asleep. Um, usually he would have gotten up and went to go get her, but he had a sinus infection and taken a bunch of like allergy meds. And so he was like knocked out. So I get to my daughter's preschool. I see I've missed two calls from him. I pick up the third call and he's like, Chris, the house is on fire. And I say the F word incredibly loud on the walk into my daughter's Catholic preschool. And like, I really like vividly in my brain, this woman like looks at me and shoots this dirty look and like pulls her daughter closer to her. And I was like, F the candle. I knew exactly what it was immediately. 
And I said, go get the fire extinguisher. It's underneath the kitchen sink. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Like the whole house is on fire. I barely made it out. And then he says, I can't find Sam, which was our black lab at the time. And I was just like, like my brain just went and it was over. Right. Like, so I did this weird, like, I remember doing this, like run to the door. Do I get my daughter run back, run to the door, run back. And eventually the director of the school comes out and she's like, uh, what's going on? And I was like, my house is on fire. And she's like, go, like we have Isa go. And I was like, okay, cool. So I get in my car and it's about a 10 minute drive from, uh, my daughter's preschool to our house. I made it in six and a half minutes. I drove 80 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone and just laid on my horn the entire time. Um, I pulled in behind the last of, I think, five or six fire trucks, waved the fire truck past me. I couldn't get down my street. There were already fire trucks, already ambulances. Every neighbor was out. It was the exact same time the elementary school was letting out, which is right behind our house. So it was like, everyone was there. (laughs) So I like just stop my car on the street. I pop out this lady in a bathrobe meets me and she's like, what's going on? And I was like, that's my house. And she's like, okay, what can we do? And I was like, I like your brain in this like midst of trauma and disbelief. And, um, all of this is just like trying to process and it can't. And I handed her my car keys. I don't know who she was. And I just ran, I was training for a a run at the time. And so like I ran and I was going to run into the house. Like, and I, I only realized that recently, um, I'm working on a memoir of this whole story. And I was going back and writing it. And I was like, where was I running? Cause I couldn't find Bill. I couldn't find my husband in the crowd. And I was like, where was I going? Like, I knew he wasn't there where like, and I think I was going to run into the house. Like the firemen were standing outside. I could see the flames coming out. The trees were on fire. It was a whole thing. And an EMT caught me before I got across the street and she said, you can't go over there. And I was like, they're not doing anything. They're just standing there. Like it was all moving in slow motion. And, uh, she's like, you can't go over there. And I was like, I have to, I can't find my husband or my dog. And then she's like, you can't. And I passed out right there on the sidewalk. And uh, I woke up as they were wheeling me into an ambulance. And like, I've done a lot of research post all of this. And it's, it's your brain when like emotionally you cannot handle a situation, your brain is like freaking out. And it's just like, okay, we're going to shut everything down now because we cannot handle this. And that's what my brain did. Um, And so that's, that was the start of it all. Um, Eventually uh, I passed out several times in the ambulance. They were like ripping my shirt off and doing EKGs. Like my blood pressure was insanely high. I mean, obviously, right. Eventually uh, my husband came out Well, he had been asleep. And what I didn't know till later we were talking was that he, um, when he got out, he climbed out our bedroom window he couldn't get, I'm like looking in our backyard as I'm (laughs) saying this through my window. He could, he had to stand at the back fence because the fire was so hot and the smoke was so thick that he could barely breathe. And like neighbors broke down the fence to make sure he was out. And um, the one exit from our backyard was on the side of the house where the fire started. So he couldn't leave the backyard on top of, he was just in a pair of boxer shorts with like no button on the (laughs) So it was this moment of like, I have to stay here to protect myself. And he, um, he was just, it was incredible. Like when you're in a relationship with someone who you just are in tune with, like the moments throughout the next couple months and years 
where I lost my, my brain and was just in this emotional wreck where the moments he was really strong. And like the moments where he just lost it were the moments I was really strong. And we just kind of went back and forth like that through the whole thing. So he eventually made it out into the ambulance. And I just thought, I, I truly thought I was in the ambulance and I thought I did this, this is my fault. He's going to come in and he's going to want a divorce, obviously, because I did this. Like, and so there was this level of guilt that I held for a very long time, which only through therapy and a lot of work was I able to kind of release. And then it was weird because also I thought, I truly thought it was a dream when I was in the ambulance. There were these moments in the ambulance where I was like, I, yeah, this is, you know, like you're having this very vivid dream, but there's like these little moments where it's a little bit off and you're like, oh, this is a dream. And one of those was when I went to call my mom from in the ambulance, my, I'd left my phone and my purse in the car the EMT handed me a flip phone and I was like, no one has flip phones anymore. <laughs> Clearly this is a dream. <laughs> and so, and there were little moments like that through the whole thing where I was like, yeah, this isn't real. This is a dream. And uh, when they finally let my husband back in, he had a, like a white sheet wrapped around him and his boxers were red and you could see straight through it. And he's a, he's a pretty big dude. He's like six, two and like two sixty, And, uh, somebody found him like a tank top, but it was like three sizes too small. <laughs> so like, there's all these moments when I was in this ambulance where none of it felt real, but it was the worst experience of our lives. But when I think about it now, like five years later, it has sent us on this different trajectory of life. Like, um, I love sci-fi and I always think about like these, these shows that have these different timelines and I often think like, there's a timeline of my life where I blew out the candle and we just kept going and all of this stuff and where would we be? And that's not the timeline we're on, but I'm so insanely thankful for where we are today. While I would love to have my dog back and all of our photos and stuff and things, we have each other and that's what's massively huge. Chris, I've read your story so many times in different snippets, and now I'm just a puddle here oh. tell the story live. It, oh, it just brings every emotion to it, and I know it's probably hard for you to tell. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Of course. Do you have any advice for people of how to release that guilt? Like, I know this is a very big scenario, but if you know, people probably have guilt every day from something that they feel like they're holding on to. So what have has worked for you to release that guilt? For me, I think with, because we were holding the guilt plus like when something so traumatic like that happens, your brain, I, like, I don't even know how to describe it other than like there was, so that night we went and stayed at a hotel and I cried a lot and I don't even think we really slept. And then we got up in the morning, the next morning and had to a tell our daughter, our house burned down and that her dog is dead, which was horrible. And the worst moment of my life, worse than having to watch it burn down. Like the, the, the wail that she said, or she screamed at that moment. Oh my gosh. I told myself I was going to cry on this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm right but, there with you. <laughs> yeah. So that moment was just the worst, but that next day we got up and we had to walk through the house and, uh, see what was left. And Bill, it was interesting too, because we both experienced such different feelings, even though it was the exact same situation. And that's something we kind of broke down in, in therapy and our therapist has talked about, um, even like families who lose children early, like the, the mother and the father usually 
even though it's the exact same trauma, they experience the feeling so differently. And that's something we experienced where Bill, the day of the fire was just on it. Like he was like, I mean, before he even called me, he had already called the fire department and he called me and then he called our insurance agent. Like while the house was on fire, like he was just on it. And then the next day when we had to go back into the house, he froze he couldn't do it because he almost died in there, you know, like, and even the firemen said, there's no reason you should be alive at all. Like one breath of that black toxic smoke, you pass out in a second, you're dead. Like, and he took three or four breaths of it before he got out of the house. So, so we, he experienced a lot of PTSD around fire, around um, the house, especially he could never go back in. I had to go through the house myself and, you know, it was so hard to like dig through the literal ashes of a life you had built together. But um, so all that time we're going through everything. We're digging through, I'm digging through the house. He just sat on the front lawn and it was just the weirdest thing. And the most incredible thing, because neighbors would just come like our neighbor, two houses down was like, I'm just going to bring you guys some chairs and a table. And also here, we cooked all this food for you and here's some waters. And like, Uh, the day of the fire, a little girl walked up to me and she said, I heard that you have a little girl. And so I, I got a bunch of my toys in a bag and here, these are for her. And like, that was our neighbors and they just like rallied around us. But, um, back to your question of, uh, letting go of the guilt, it was so long and so much time. And we sat in therapy session after therapy session and Bill would be like, Chris, it was an accident. And our therapist, Marla, she'd be like, Chris, it was an accident. And I couldn't verbally say it. I felt so heavy in guilt and on top of having to deal with all the, the to-do list after a fire of going through the house and then your insurance company, you have to make a list of everything you've ever owned, how much you probably paid for it and how old it is, which you're just making a list of everything you lost, which is horrifying. I, like there was even a time my in-laws came in town, my husband, and my daughter went with them. I was alone. And I like, but I haven't written about this on the blog at all yet. It's in the memoirs, but I was ready to die. Like truthfully was like, I did this to my family. They don't need me. They don't need any of this. And I think that moment was a huge turning point for me because I ended up calling them and I talked to Bill and we had a lot of separation anxiety and all kinds of other stuff. And I was losing it. And he was like, okay, I'll be there in a second. He comes and I just like cried a lot. And I was like, it was an accident. And it was the moment when I was able to admit it to myself that I was able to start letting go of the guilt. And it wasn't like, oh, it's all gone. I'm fine. It was the moment of, I can say it to myself. Now we can start this process. And so um, anybody who's holding on any kind of guilt like that, like you just have to get to the point where you can say it to yourself and then you can set the process of letting it go, you know? So you guys sound like such an amazing team and you you're right you see so much goodness in people during these really hard times so thanks for sharing that too i i know you actually have a step-by-step guide on your website of what to do if your house burns down and your website is amazing i love the name stronger than fire it sounds like you really like you were not able to get anything you know people always ask that if there was a fire what would you grab and and you couldn't grab anything do you like lose all your documents like literally starting from scratch yes so and it's it's like my soapbox it was uh that episode of this is us came out like very shortly after our fire with the uh I don't know if y'all watched that but the 
there's a house fire and I think it started by a um, crock pot or something and he gets to go back in and get things and I was like Hollywood stop like that is a myth <laughs> like, I think that about Hollywood with many things <laughs> right like you are setting people up for failure in a fire situation with this stuff um but in, in some actuality, there was a, I think it was like 60 minutes or something to just study. And I've done like these insane deep dives on like fires and how things burn and why they burn in certain ways and what, you know, materials that burn and stuff. Um, but 60 minutes did this thing where they set up two rooms and one was like filled with uh, materials and uh, couches and stuff that were made in like the 40s. 50s and then another room was set up with stuff that was made today and so because we have so many synthetics in our furniture and our curtains and all this stuff it burns hotter and faster and so yes in the 50s you may have had time to go back in today mm -mm, not at all and so yeah that is so we in, in the U.S., you start with your social security card if anybody needs to know <laughs> we actually I have my wallet because I was in the car, but Bill, we searched for his wallet in the rubble for about three or four days. Um, and we actually found it like on the other side of the house from where he had left it when he got home early that morning. Um, we assume like a fire hose had hit it and launched it, but we were able to find it. So he actually had to go to the hospital that night because they were worried about smoke inhalation. And he got to the hospital and they were like, can we see your ID? And he was like, Nope, <laughs> I don't have any of it. Um, so we, st you start with your social security card. I still had my driver's license. So that was good. We, my dad dug in my home office where it started and he got through about two feet of rubble and found like this square box melted thing. And it was actually like our filing cabinet. That was one of those like drawer things with plastic that was made of plastic and it had all melted and burned, but we cut it open. And in there I had copies of like Xerox copies of our, um, our passports. And so I was able to figure out what our passport number was. And so, yeah, you just start from scratch and it's just the weirdest experience to, you know, we stayed in a hotel that night and I took a shower and a friend brought me pajamas. Like she went and bought them for me. And I went to brush my hair and grab my brush. And I was like, Oh, I don't own that anymore. Oh, I don't own underwear anymore. And like, I think I write in the blog, it took me like a week to actually go buy underwear because <laughs> you're just, you're doing so much. And yeah, you just start from scratch. We went into Target like a three days later. Um, and we, like I, I had a cart and I just, we, the three of us just stood there for the longest time. And I was like, I don't know where to start. Cause we just need everything. And we we're still like such emotional wrecks that, uh, I had grabbed some clothes for my daughter and I was going to go like price scan them. And there was a guy at the price scanner in front of me and uh, he was scanning a bunch of stuff. And I just stood there for a minute and I just like all of it hit me in that moment. And I just started like ugly crying in the middle of Target. And this man was just like scanning his stuff. <laughs> he was just like, okay. So there was a lot of moments like that in all of it, but um, yeah, you just, you kind of just start from the beginning, but I think there's another aspect of it. And we really started to question ourselves on what do we actually need? And I think, especially in America, we have such a consumeristic society and we buy so much stuff. And there was a level of, while I was mourning the loss of all this stuff, I was, I was able to only bring back the things that truly meant something to me. And so um, we learned a lot about ourselves in that, that process too. 
Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to ask you about of parts of your life that maybe you didn't want to rebuild. And what were some of the changes from that day? And I also feel like just as a side note, a reminder with, um, you know, for families to take photos of their documents and, and store their photos and that cloud upload is so important too. So thank you very much for today. This is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. What was the first part of that question again? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, were there parts of your life that you didn't want to rebuild again? Yes, absolutely. Um, professionally, I had already, um, I, I was doing a lot of like professional portrait photography at the time. And um, like I'd been classically trained in a black and white dark room and I started with shooting film and um, I was getting really burnt out. The industry had changed and shifted a lot and it wasn't bringing me joy and it felt like work. And I struggled a lot with letting it go. But then the fire happened. I lost all the work that I'd done. I'd lost all the equipment. And, you know, we kind of sat there and I was like, I don't think this is a thing I want to bring back in my life. And other than the photo behind me, um, which is just, that's my daughter. I, you know, I switched and I just do, I do it for me, the photography work. So that's the thing we didn't bring back in. And I think the hardest thing was we had already started this mission as a family to hit every state park in Texas and there's 89 of them and we had you know we go to REI garage sales and buy gear we buy gear used we buy new and we had all of our gear and we lost all of it and in that that was one of the things we were like this is something we need to buy back immediately. Like we need to start building our gear back up immediately. And so we knew exploring, we knew camping, we knew all of those things were things we wanted to bring back into our lives. I think in like college and high school, I was a big time scrapbooker. All that stuff burned. And I was like, cool, I'm not into that anymore. So, you know, there was some easy stuff to let go and some harder stuff to let go, but for sure. Um, books were another thing where we're all big readers, our entire family, and we not having books around us, like kind of broke our hearts a little bit. I love to hear though, that what you wanted back was your outdoor adventure items and reading. Those are two things that we're super passionate about, obviously, at Kids Who Explore. So that's beautiful to hear. And only months after the fire, Hurricane Harvey hit your area. Yeah. Did that time frame impact you getting your camper van that you guys got? Or was that always in the works even before all of this? Um, so the camper came later. We didn't actually do the camper till the pandemic until 2020. We, uh, so the house burned in February of 2017. And it's this weird process that I know way more about than I ever did before of like, what do you do? Well, you have to make the decision. Do we want to just sell the land or do we want to rebuild? And we decided we wanted to rebuild. Um, and then it's a question of like, well, who's going to rebuild our house? And what's awful is that day, the fire of the fire, the police chief was pulled me aside. And he said, do you see all those people standing there? And I said, yeah. And these guys in suits and stuff. And I was, he's like, well, they're ambulance chasers and they want to talk to you about rebuilding your house. And I was like, I literally just buried my dog in the backyard like five seconds ago. And I remember looking at the police chief and I said, this has been a really terrible day. If they come near me, I'm going to punch them in the face and then I'm going to go to jail and this day is going to get a lot harder. So I just need you to do whatever you need to do to keep them away from me. <laughs> and I mean, those, they, they had a police truck there or a um, fire truck there until very late at night. And the firefighters that were still there afterwards were moving very slowly until all of them left. And I'm forever thankful for that. But um, so you have to rebuild. 
Um, and we had to get a uh, somebody to drop new blueprints because our house was too old. We didn't have the original blueprints. And then we had to find a builder and we had to, a builder wouldn't tell us how much it would cost without the blueprints. And blueprints take three to four months on the quick side of things. And so it was this whole process. Meanwhile, we have builders telling us, don't demo the house until you've signed a builder because your builder is gonna to wanna to see how the house is now, what's left of it. And so four months, and we ended up getting renting a house in our neighborhood. So four months, we drove past our burned house every day. Um, and there would be late, late nights. And I would, Issa would be in bed and I'd look at Bill and I'd be like, I just need to go for a drive. And I would sit in, in the driveway of our burned house and I would cry and I would pray and I would cry and I would pray and I would cry. And um, I'm sure our neighbors were just like, what is happening? But um, so when Hurricane Harvey hit in August, we hadn't actually even demoed our house. So all the rains of Harvey went into what was left of the house. Um, and then we live on the north side of Houston, which got hit really hard. We were actually kind of island where we were um, during that whole time. And, you know, we were in our rent house and we were watching all this happen and we we're watching these houses flood. And we just knew, we knew exactly what these people were feeling. We'd been there because, I mean, while it burned, we also had gallons and gallons of water dump in our house as they were trying to put out the fire. So whatever's not burned is also water damage. So um, while it was still raining, a neighbor watched Isa and there's a mosque behind our neighborhood. And we went there, they were rescuing people out of houses. And we were like, what can we do? <laughs> And so they were getting donations and stuff. And I was like, well, I can organize this because friends did this for us after the fire. So I know what to do. And so I just started organizing and they fed us and it was like the best food we've ever eaten, like Mediterranean food we've ever had. And um, that night or that evening, Bill and I looked at each other and we we're like, you know, there's all these centers that are rescuing people that are collecting stuff, but nobody's communicating. So let's drive as far as we can go to all the places we know exist because these places had come and go, you know, do you have diapers or do you have formula or do you have whatever? Um, so we just started traveling around as far as we could go and getting contact information of uh, different donation centers, different rescue places. Um, and uh, we ended up also at a like EMT distribution place where they like send out the ambulances, which we rolled in. And the ambulance that I was rolled into during our fire was there in the parking lot, oddly enough. So we start talking and I meet this guy and he's, he's an EMT. And he's like, I said, what do you need? And he was like, we just need dry socks. And I was like, that's it. He's like dry socks. He's like, most of us have been working for 24 to 48 hours. Our boots are wet. Our shoes are wet. Our socks, we just need dry socks. And I was like, I'll find you dry socks. So we go to a donation center and we'd gone to like two or three different places. We went to a donation center. It was closed and I'm taking down the information that's on the door and I'm writing it all down. And this woman drives up and she's like, oh, they're closed. And I was like, yeah. Um, I said, what do you have? She opens her trunk. It's dry socks and water. And I'm like, okay, here's the deal. You need to go take it to this place. I know you can get there. The water, the, the, there's a little bit of water on this one road, but it's only a couple inches deep. You can get there from here take these dry socks to this guy. And so, and Hurricane Harvey relief kept happening like that over and over again. Late that night, my phone just starts ringing and I'm like, who are these people? And there's this people from Uni University of Houston are calling and asking how they can help. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just a person. <laughs> and apparently my 
my phone number got put on some list. And so all these people start calling and this lady calls me at like midnight and she's like, um, I'm at my church has been getting donations and we have to hold a funeral. So we need to empty our donation center. Can you help? And I'm like, okay. Like I have friends that have trucks. Like we are in Texas. <laughs> like I can get trucks. Um, and so we get the trucks and we, we go there in the morning. I have no idea where we're going to take all this stuff. My friend rolls up and I look at her and she goes to a church where my husband and I used to be youth pastors. There's new leadership there, but I was like, give me your pastor's number. So she does. And I call him and I'm like, I don't know if you know me. And he's like, no, I know who you are. And I was like, okay, <laughs> but I need to take this, these donations. Like, I mean, we're talking like a whole sanctuary full of donations somewhere. And he's like, call this guy. So I end up calling this other pastor of another church. We move everything over there. And then, um, I remember walking into an office. He said his, his administrator was uh, kind of making it all happen. And I walk into this office, all the lights are out. And there's this woman just sitting there with her head on her desk and she's fully overwhelmed. And I'm like, Hey, so my name's Chris and I'm here to help. What can I do? And her and I are now like incredibly good friends. I love her to pieces and her and I with our husbands and just a million volunteers ended up running this like donation center. And it wasn't just that we were giving stuff to people one-on-one, but when we were at the, the first church, we needed boxes to move stuff in. I was like, I need heavy duty boxes. How do I get heavy duty boxes? I was like, please God, I need heavy duty boxes. And like this guy taps me on the shoulder, not five minutes later, he's like, Hey, so I have all these milk crates, these plastic milk crates. I thought somebody could use them. And I was like, yes. And things just kept happening like that. And it was one of the most wild things I've ever experienced in my life. Like we had gotten all these clothing donations, which I actually just wrote about on another blog with clothing waste, but, um, we kept getting all these clothing donations and there's so much and so overwhelming. And I was like, I need to move these out. I need like a big truck. And this guy calls me and he's like, Hey, um, Oh no, I had called the, the EMT and I was like, I need a big truck to move all these clothes. He's like, well, how big? And I was like, I don't know, like a truck. And he's like, like a five ton army truck. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but okay. <laughs> so sure enough, army truck rolls up an empty school bus rolls up. We get all these clothes off and, um, what's crazy. And like, this is just our lives, right? Like it always happens like this. The, the guy that owned that truck and the bus uh, Mr. Bruce was his name. And he, he volunteered with us for weeks because there were so many areas of Texas you couldn't get to and needed so much more than even we needed in Houston. Like Houston got hit really bad, but like orange and Corpus and all these other areas. I mean, it was just this massive undertaking. So we were delivering truckloads of stuff all over, you know, the Gulf coast and he would go do runs for me. So every morning he would come in, we'd have coffee together. We'd chat super great guy amazing guy. I hadn't seen him since 2017. And, uh, this summer or last, last fall, I'm sorry, last fall, our camper awning broke. And I just looked up a, a camper repair place, roll in and we're pulling our camper in the thing. And I was like, Bill, look at that bus. He was like, what bus? I was like, look at that bus. That's the bus. That's the bus that helped us during hurricane Harvey. I was like, this must be Mr. Bruce's place. <laughs> We end up like taking our camper, you know, all these years later and, and seeing this guy again, just totally randomly. And it's just, this has been our lives or since the fire, this is just, and 
and it, my, my husband laughs, he's like, you say things and they happen. And I'm like, I truly believe like when you just, when you have faith, when you have, and I mean, I'm, I, I have, I'm a very uh, spiritual person, but even if you're not spiritual, like there is something about saying out loud, this is the desire of my heart and saying it out loud and saying it out loud repeatedly and like believing in it and working towards it. Like there's something incredibly powerful about that. And that's kind of how we've operated since the fire. And it's just been, you know, we pandemic happened. We were like, at least we can go to state parks when they open again, because they were closed here in Texas for a while. But off the cuff, a friend was like, you know, we're selling, we're getting rid of our camper. And I was like, I want to buy it. She's like, no, it's got water damage. You don't want it. And I was like, no, that's exactly what I want. Cause we ended up, which I guess we haven't talked about, but our builder walked off the job and stole about a hundred thousand dollars from us and our toilets <laughs> when we were rebuilding our house. And so, yeah, it was just a wild like one thing after another. So we ended up finishing our house ourselves. Every piece of floor in here, every stitch of paint and people volunteered and helped us and we finished ourselves. But when in 2020, when a friend was like, Hey, you know, this camper, but it needs to be completely redone. We are like, we can do that. Sure. It's, it's a 17 foot camper. That's nothing. We did a whole house. So, um, it's interesting to me, like, and we've had a dream to redo a camper for ages. And so, it's so interesting to look back at the path we've taken and see how all these little things that we're doing and have done that seemed either overwhelming or minuscule at the time have prepared us for stuff we're doing currently. And so um, we, me, my husband, my daughter, and my dad just gutted a camper in our driveway in the summer of 2020 when everything was shut down and uh, redid the whole thing. And now that's what we travel in. So, but you know, it was no big deal because we had done a whole house. So why not a camper? Wow. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You have been through so much and the divine energy that has been interwoven into your life path um, is incredible. And just being open to that level of energy is really, really something to listen to for sure. Like, blown away by your story. And then just like the hardships and moments you had to face during, you know, hurricane Harvey and just like, you know, people that aren't trustworthy and just all the things in between. And you guys just overcame those challenges and yeah, that wow. Um, so one of the things I wanted to know the trauma that you felt during like the fire initially and the hurricane, do you still like feel that trauma today as raw in that form? Yes and no. There was a couple who came from a friend of a friend who called us and said, we have a storage unit with some furniture in it and um, we're not using it. Do you want anything? And we were like, yeah. So there's a table over there that came from them and a couple things in our house. And I was talking to the gentleman, he was an older guy and he had a veteran hat on. And I was like, oh, you know, thank you for your service. And he's like, yeah, I served in Vietnam. And I said, you know, what, what branch of the military were you in? Because lots of our, our family, my husband and mine are all military. He was like, I was in the air force and I was actually a photographer for the air force. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And he's like, yeah. So I would, you know, hang on planes and take video and photos or whatever at that time. And I said, wow, like Vietnam was a rough war. He said, yeah. He said, I suffer from PTSD. And it it was right around the time that our our therapist was like using that word with us. And I said, when do you get over it? When, when does it, when, when does it stop? 
He's like, it never stops. It never goes away. You just learn how to deal with it. You learn how to manage it. And at the time I was like, it never goes away. In that moment, I was just like, oh, but now, you know, all these years later, I go, yeah, I totally get that. So it's not a matter of, it's not every day. It's not as frequent anymore. Right. But there's moments that trigger and you go, okay, I have to sit and I have to process. Why is this triggering me? Why am I feeling so heavy in the emotion and, and all of that right now? Um, it was what, two years ago now, um, I was on PTO for my daughter's school, parent teacher organization. And uh, we were in the school and the fire alarm went off. And I mean, this was several years after our fire, we were back in our house and, you know, our rebuilt house and everything. And the fire alarm went off and my friend, my new friend, who's now a very good friend of mine was sitting across from me and she knew our story. I mean, the school's right there. Everybody at the school knows our story. And um, she's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, this isn't scheduled. Like usually they would let us know if it was a drill. And then her husband calls and he's like, why are there fire trucks going to the elementary school right now? And I was like, oh, here we go. And um, I was still okay. And then uh, we go out of the PTO room and we're going down the stairs. And as we're going down the stairs, firemen are coming up the stairs and they're passing us. And I was fine, hundred percent fine until I smelled them. And it was the smell that there's a very distinct smell to like when a house burns or building burns, that's different than any other burn smell. And I, I, we ran back up to the PTO room to grab our stuff. And I had a full panic attack in the PTO room. And my friend's husband was in there by that time. And he's ex-military and he knew exactly what I was doing, what was happening to me. Cause he knows panic attacks and he's got, he's dealing with anxiety and stuff for military service. And he's like, are you okay? And I was just like, I just, I just need a second. I need to get through it. And so um, you know, over time you learn how to pull out of the panic attacks, like what things work for you. For us, it's a mantra of I'm safe, Ease is safe, Bill's safe. We're okay. We're safe. And so it's repeating that in my brain and then focusing on my breath and breathing, but it took me totally by surprise. I had no idea that that would set me off. I had no idea that that was even something I needed to like unpack the smell of fire. And so, you know, I ended up meeting my daughter outside and I grabbed her and I hugged her there were tears in my face. And her teacher was like, are you okay? Like, I can, I know why this is triggering you. Like, are you, and I'm like, yeah, I just need to know that she's okay. Like I just needed to hug my kid and make sure she's okay. And now I'm fine. So dealing with trauma, it, it like pops up every once in a while. And it kind of like taps you on the shoulder and it's like, Hey, you still have some things to deal with. Like, and so you just deal with it. And, you know, we, we, we weren't in therapy before this fire. And I remember my mom just saw like how we were kind of imploding on ourselves the first couple of days after. And she was like, you need to go to therapy. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And she was like, no, you have to go. And my husband was even more against it. And the only reason, and he'll say this very honestly now is the only reason he went was he had a uh, time off from work. Um, so FMLA time off from work. And he had to prove why he needed the time off and had to have a therapist sign off on it. And he's, he'll say today, that's the only reason I went, but now he'll tell you it's the best thing that's ever happened to him because I mean, mental health, it's like, why aren't we doing that? <laughs> like we're all very, we go to the gym to work on our bodies and everybody's like, yeah, look at my workout today. Look how much I ran. They share screenshots, but nobody's sharing pictures of them walking into therapy, which in my opinion is 
equally as important as taking care of your body is taking care of your mental health and your brain. So, um, you know, we still do therapy twice a, a month and through it, I mean, we've unpacked all of the fire stuff, but we've unpacked past traumas and, uh, worked on our marriage and how we parent. And, you know, we even put our, our daughter into, um, a child therapist because I was like, okay, well, part of the guilt at the beginning was now I've ruined my daughter forever. Like she's had this trauma, traumatic experience as a kid. She's going to carry this for the rest of life. And so that was what was in my head. She's totally fine. Kids are very resilient. Um, but so it's, you know, it's constantly work, you know, and I couldn't sit here and be like, this thing may trigger me later. Um, but every once in a while it does. Uh, one of the big ones for me still now is photos and all the photos we lost, especially of our daughter as a baby and all of that. And, um, for me as a photographer, so much of my memory is tied to the photos I take. And so the way my brain works is that I see the photo and then I have the memory. And so not having those photos, there was a, there's a lot of mourning the loss of memory, which I've had to kind of retrain myself to be like, you can pull the memories without the photos. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always a process. And that gentleman I met the Vietnam vet was a hundred percent on point when he said, it's just something you learn how to manage over time. Well, so many great messages for people today, mental health, take care of yourself, know that it's going to take time. And of course, get in the outdoors with the people you love. I so appreciate all these messages you shared. And there's so much more that people need to follow along with. I know, I think your husband still homeschools your daughter, right? Yeah, that yeah. was a whole, that was a pandemic shift. That was new to us. Yeah. And, and you're writing a book and you guys are visiting all the Texas state parks. So there's yeah. so much more that people need to follow in that we could not cover in this short podcast. But where are the best places that you want people to follow along with you? Um, we are stronger than fire on Instagram and uh, you can read more of our story in our blog at strongerthanfire.com. Okay. Amazing. And this is our quick final question. The first question is kind of a funny question when we're talking about living a life with less, but can you please let us know in the last few months, was there a purchase under a hundred dollars that was really meaningful to you? I've been really trying to think about this and I'm self-employed. And so we just had to pay a massive income tax bill. <laughs> so like, I don't think we've bought anything. I really love this pen bag. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's ridiculous, <laughs> but it makes, it brings me great joy. Like yeah. it, it's legitimately, it was like $7 and I use it every day and I love it. And then my daughter was like, I want one. And so she got one for Easter, but um, yeah, like it's, it's the simple things really. It is yeah. it's little things. Can you share a book, show, or podcast recommendation right now? Yes, I have, I have two. So um, I'm a big fan of Sharon Says So on Instagram. If you don't follow her, she talks about government and all these kinds of things. I love her podcast. It is awesome. Like I've learned so much about our own history, found great new books, and um, I'm in her book club. And a couple months back, we read, uh, oh, I wrote it down, The Woman They Could Not Silence by Kate Moore. And it's about this woman in the late 1800s who was committed by her husband and lives in this insane asylum. And it's just, it's true, true story. But what was crazy for me is in reading it, I was telling my mom about it and she's like, oh, like your great grandmother or your great, great grandmother. And I was like, time out, what? <laughs> and so my great grandfather uh, was English and he immigrated through Canada with his family. 
and they lived in Canada and her husband, his father was apparently really terrible and had her committed. And she lived out her days in an, in an insane asylum in Canada. And I ended up doing all this research and finding her death certificate. And they said um, she had died from exhaustion from epilepsy, which was a common wow. reason why women would get committed at the time. I mean, you could be committed for like novel reading, like you could just be educated and then be like, oh, you're a woman and you're too educated. So you're clearly insane. Not necessarily the good old days, hey? Right. <laughs> so um, oh, that, it was a wow. crazy good book. I highly recommend. Okay. Thanks for that recommendation. I'll check it out. If there was no time or money limit, where would you travel or explore next? Everywhere. We've had to kind of rein in our our Texas travels because gas prices are so expensive and it's expensive to pull a camper. Um, I think we would do like three months on the road and just go and see all the historic places and all the amazing things that are just here within the United States. I think my daughter and I are desperate to go to Hawaii. And then I've, I've been to South Africa and it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life and just incredible. And I would love to take my daughter and my husband there. So Great. Amazing. That sounds really good. I just wanted to circle back really quickly on the spiritual chat that you had kind of alluded to earlier in the conversation. And I know we're probably running over time. (laughs) So I'll make this really quick, but I am surrounded by my like healing stones, my angel cards, my like sage, everything in this room where we're doing this today. And I drew a card for you during you know, all these conversations and that, and I just feel like I needed to share it. I couldn't not, (laughs) it's like urging me to share. It's the keepers. Yes. Is this beautiful card? And it says the keepers of the earth. Okay. So I really feel strongly this message is for you, but it says you are not alone. You are supported and you do not stand alone. So I can send you a picture of this card with all the description. (laughs) It comes with a little book. And um, I will send that after a recording today, but I just wanted to share that message with you and thank Thank you for today. Thank you. I think (laughs) being outside and in, in the wild is so spiritual for me. We were on a really long hike once and my husband was like, why do you love this so much? And I was like, this is where I feel close to the earth and to God and to other human beings. Like I feel more tied to everyone in the world in, in the wild than anywhere else. And there's all these things in history. Like I, I've been reading about thin places. Have you heard of this? No. It's this um, Scottish and Irish tradition and thought process that there's these thin places in the world where it's so beautiful and so wonderful that like the the division between earth and another realm is thin. And so there are places where you feel the energy of the earth stronger and you feel the energy of either like another realm or God or heaven or whatever, you know, your belief system is even more intensely because it's such of like this immensely beautiful place. And I love like St. Francis of Assisi, if you've ever studied him, like he talks so much about how like God is, is part of like the earth is where God is. It's his creation, where his creation and all of this, like all of these beautiful, wonderful things that just, it's why I explore. (laughs) That is a perfect reason. And now we need to find those places, Adrian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much for being on today and for sharing your story. This Absolutely. was perfect. Just thank perfect. you. Thank you. Thanks for bringing us to tears. Thanks for adventuring with us. Please subscribe and share your love by reviewing our podcast with five stars and follow us over at Kids Who Explore on Instagram and all other social media platforms.
This podcast is produced by KP Media Productions.